Before I turn it over to our speakers, um, I just want to introduce them all briefly. Nikki Marie Oliveira is an associate in Nutter's private client department. Her practice focuses on estate and tax planning. LK Tria is an associate at Sullivan and Worcester. Her practice focuses on corporate transactions. Adam Sherwin is the founder of the Sherwin Law Firm. He's practiced real estate litigation for the past eight years. And Carla Reeves is an associate at Goulston and Stores. She focuses her practice on employment litigation and counseling and government and internal investigations. Thank you all again very much. And with that, I will pass it to our moderator, Nikki. Thank you so much, Doug. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here today. It's nice to see a few faces. There is no pressure at all, but if you'd like to turn on your cameras, we would love to see all of you. So as Doug said, I am Nikki Oliveira and I'm an associate at Nutter in the private client department. And I'm the moderator today. And I'm really excited for all of you to be here because this panel, I've had the opportunity to meet all of them and they all have really great stories, lots of good advice to share. So I think it's gonna be a pleasure to hear from all of them. And first we're gonna start out with our journeys to success. So we're all gonna give you a brief summary of our journeys from law school graduation to success and tell you about our career paths for how we got to where we are today. So I'm gonna start with my story first. So I went to New England School of Law or New England Law Boston as it's now known. And then I obtained my LLM in tax from BU Law. I graduated in 2010 when the job market was less than ideal, a little bit challenging following the recession. And at that time, the majority of my classmates did not have any jobs lined up. There were hiring freezes at most of the firms in town, as well as the courts. There were no, there were no internships or the DOR wasn't hiring and lots of employers were not hiring. So. I know that that is very similar to what you are all facing right now. So after graduation, I treated my job search as if it was my full-time job. I spent the day searching for jobs, applying for jobs, and I was really lucky, possibly interviewing for a position. I interviewed for many, many, many positions before actually getting a job. And this continued for several months after graduation. I was then fortunate to find an unpaid internship which I know does not sound very glamorous, and it wasn't, but it was the only opportunity that I could find at that time to actually get some experience. So I was living at home with my parents, so I was fortunate to be able to take an unpaid job. And again, not glamorous, living at home with my parents and working for free. This is not exactly what I had in mind when I graduated law school. But while doing this unpaid internship, I was still taking the time to apply for any and all opportunities that came my way. I was trying my best to attend networking events. I was lucky enough to get on a committee at the BBA and I volunteered my time there as well. And I was just always reaching out to professionals in the field who I had a connection with, whether it was alumni from law school or undergrad or professors as well. I was requesting informational interviews at that time, that meant sitting down and having a cup of coffee or possibly even lunch, but I know now that means having a Zoom with someone. So I tried my best while I was doing this unpaid internship to stay on top of my job search. Just one funny anecdote, or at least I think it's a little bit funny. At this time, while I was searching for a job, the Boston Business Journal published a story called The Lost Generation of Lawyers. 
I don't know if any of my panelists remember this, but essentially this article just talked about several people who had just graduated law school who were searching for positions and how it was a very difficult job market. And yesterday, I actually went to my office because I wanted to show all of you this today. So the last generation of lawyers from the Boston Business Journal had my face on the front page. And when I say face, I mean mugshot. <laughs> so again, I'm continuing that glamorous theme. But on a serious note, I show you this article, first of all, because I do think it is funny, but also because I think it just captures how they interviewed over 20 law school graduates in this article. And we were all searching for employment at that time. And I think it just captures the fact that at that time, we were not alone and neither are you. So I know it's a challenging job market. I know that that's what you're facing. And I hope that some of the advice we give you today will help. So after that, after my unpaid internship, which I stayed at for almost a year, I landed a fellowship at a boutique elder law firm in Boston. I found this opportunity on one of the job boards at my law school. And fortunately, the attorney who I was doing the unpaid internship for actually gave me a glowing reference. So I felt that it was all worth it at that time. So the fellowship was a one-year position and it was marketed as an opportunity to be trained in all things estate planning with a focus on elder law. And estate planning is what I wanted to do at the time. So after my one year was up, the firm actually offered me a full-time position as an associate. And at the time I was extremely grateful because at the outset, they made it very clear that it was a one-year fellowship and that there was no opportunity to become an associate. So I just mentioned that because you just never know what will happen or what will come of a position, even if it's not exactly what you're looking for. I then stayed at that small firm for two years and moved on to a boutique trust and estate firm as my ultimate career goal was to incorporate tax planning into my practice. I wanted to use the knowledge I gained with my LLM path. So I stayed at that small firm for almost six years. And then two years ago, an opportunity came across my path to join Nutter. But interestingly, it came about quite organically, just due to some connections that I had made along the way with attorneys at that firm through networking and also through school. So now here I am, an associate at Nutter in the private client department. And that is my journey. So now we are going to hear from the other three panelists about their journeys as well. And I would like to hear from Carla first, please. Thanks, Nikki. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Carla Reeves. And um, as mentioned, I'm an associate at Goulston and Stores in, in Boston. And I graduated from Boston College Law School in 2010. So uh, shortly after Nikki, I was near the end of the year. And my first job after law school was at a mid-sized firm uh, where I focused on commercial and business litigation work. And I secured that job uh, really by monitoring very closely a website that BC Law's Career Services Office had uh, you know, made available to us with job postings that they would advertise from time to time. And you know, I went about that process by just really getting myself on the schedule. So you know, every day or every other day, I would scroll through and see where the opportunities were and uh, use that as an opportunity to reach out um, sometimes to alumni who had connections to BC Law, but really just tried to find people who um, had opportunities available that were 
uh, in line with what I, I thought I'd be interested in. And, you know, during that period of time, I had to be creative. Um, so one of the things that I decided to do was pursue um, an opportunity that, you know, started out as a short-term opportunity. So it was only meant to be no longer than a year. Um, it was called a trial lawyers and training program, and there was no guarantee of, you know, continued employment after that. Uh, but what I did was try to use that opportunity to get my foot in the door and develop those skills early on and, you know, hopefully make a good impression by, uh, you know, working as hard as I could and also just being open to learning areas that maybe I hadn't set out to uh, practice in as I was uh, leaving law school. And, you know, fortunately, I was able to network and, and you know, handle some matters, uh, work on case teams where people got an opportunity to, uh, you know, see what I could contribute to the department. And I was very open with people about the fact that I, you know, didn't necessarily have, um, you know, any opportunities lined up for once that program ended and asked to be considered if there were long-term opportunities. And, you know, for a while was sort of just waiting to see if there would be. And it, a lot of it really depended on uh, the market. That was at a time where, you know, people were cutting jobs as opposed to, you know, bringing on more people. So uh, for me, it was all about timing and continuing to be clear with people about my interest in staying on if uh, the firm could support a full-time associate. So um, I spent the first four or so years after law school working at that same firm. So again, I, I went in thinking it would be actually less than a year at that firm, but was able to stay on and um, because I knew I wanted to focus on employment law, and that wasn't an area that the firm uh, practiced in, I, I made a move to another mid-sized firm in Boston where I was able to do plan of side employment work. Um, so that really gave me an opportunity to get myself in a position where I could develop expertise in the area that I knew I wanted to practice in. And from there, I actually uh, rejoined some former colleagues from my first firm who had made a transition to Goulston and stores. And I've been at Goulston for just over four years now. It'll be four and a half years soon. And, you know, I think my path was, um, I really think I was able to get access to opportunities by remaining consistent. Um, I talked earlier about how I reviewed job postings. Um, honestly, it, it was to the point of daily, just tracking what's new, uh, what have I applied to? Where can I find uh, introductions to people who had opportunities? And also being flexible and willing to pivot. So ideally, I would have wanted, uh, you know, some full-time, long-term position coming out of law school. But uh, what I had available to me was a shorter-term opportunity that I could choose to approach in a way that might open some doors. So I, I tried that. And also networking was really important because that's how I was able to communicate with people about what it is that I wanted to do and also keep lines of communication open. So although I was flexible enough to, um, you know, transition into a general litigation role, I was able to communicate with people about what the firm was and was not committed to doing in terms of practice areas. So I was able to determine that if I wanted to focus on employment that I would need to make a move and I've been able to make transitions uh, by really relying on those connections, uh, mentorship and sponsorship relationships that um, I, I work to develop along the way. So I would encourage that just really working to build up your network and um, also taking advantage of the experiences and resources that are available to you through those networks. 
Great, thank you so much, Carla. I always like to hear your story. And now, Adam, we would love to hear about your journey to success. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Adam Sherwin. I am a, a solo attorney in uh, Charlestown. I handle real estate litigation. I got my start. I finished law school in 2010, along with a couple other people on the panel when the economy just melted down. It was a, it was a horrible time for everyone graduating school. Um, a lot of people in my class didn't have jobs and a lot of people took a while to really kind of get their feet, feet, uh, feet on the ground. I went to law school in Vermont in particular, so it was a little, it was an extra challenge because I wasn't from Boston. So it made the tougher economy made it even harder to kind of break into the door. My first job out of school was a long-term contract position in Massachusetts. I came down for that. I did that for about 10 months. That ended. Um, I did a couple other smaller contract positions along the side. Um, when, when I didn't have any contract work and it, when it kind of ran out, I started doing a lot of volunteer work. In particular, I started doing a lot of volunteer work with the housing court. So on Thursdays, this was pre-COVID, pre on the Thursdays, um, they were having a lot of volunteer lawyers. They still do it, but it's obviously a little bit different now. But I started doing a lot of volunteer work and really got my foot in the door in the housing and eviction, eviction process and got very good experience doing that. And that eventually led to a position with a very a tiny little nonprofit in, right, outside, right outside Boston that did exclusively foreclosure defense. And this was around, two, this was about 2012. This is right after the start of the initial foreclosure crisis. So foreclosures were going left and right. And I jumped in and I took on, I essentially became a sole attorney at that point. I was the sole staff attorney for this nonprofit. I went from not having a single client to taking on about 25 uh, different homeowners and different circumstances of foreclosure. Um, it was baptism by fire. I got thrown right into it. I you know, was taking on, I was doing trials, appeals, all sorts of litigation. And it was, it was the best experience I possibly could have had. Um, I did that for about a solid year. And I, I, did, I had a chance to work on all sorts of different cases and work in all the different courts and really just get really some really good experience. And I think I was kind of a little bit of the irony was that the 2000, 2008, 2009 meltdown caused the crash. It caused the job market to swell up. But the irony was that it gave me my opening because it led to foreclosure defense as a practice and a viable area. And I, I have a prediction that COVID is going to do the same for a lot of you. It's going to open new practice areas and open up things that we, we can't possibly think about. But I did that for about a year. The nonprofit eventually had to close down and I, I went out on my own. I took the clients that I had and just built a practice after that. I've been doing that for the last seven years. I've been doing all real estate litigation, landlord-tenant, boundary disputes, easements, um, zoning fights, everything of that sort. And it's been just a great ride so far. I've really enjoyed being a solo attorney. Um, I never would have thought of it starting out at a law school. I would have thought it'd be crazy to go out solo, but I think it's a great option for a lot of people, especially younger attorneys. So we can certainly so we can certainly cover that if people are interested, but it's been a great ride so far. Um, I would say the last point I would say right now is right now they're predicting the end of the legal profession for new attorneys. So, you know, I'm sure that's going around in the blog posts and all that. They said it 10 years ago when I finished law school. They said it 10 years before that and so forth. They've been saying doom and gloom about uh, new lawyers since the beginning of time. But I, I think, honestly believe anyone who puts the time into a job search and gets themselves out there, you know, finds their way, finds their way to where they want to be. Great, Adam, thank you so much for your story. And I personally think you are very brave for going out on your own. And now let's hear about LK's journey to success. 
everyone. Very happy to be here. Please do turn on your cameras because it's going to make me remember who you are when you send out emails later. I want to see these beautiful faces. There we go. Um, so my name is Elke. I'm a corporate attorney. I graduated Suffolk Law School in 2012. Um, a funny anecdote is right before, so I entered law school in 2009. And I went to the Mac store before, like the week before I started law school to buy my first, my laptop. And the kid who sold it to me had just graduated from Suffolk Law School. And he <laughs> was like, oh, so you're going to law school, huh? Sounds like a great idea. Maybe you should reconsider. Can you get your money back kind of a thing? Um, so that was a, that was a hilarious uh, introduction. Um, at Suffolk at the time, you know, with the recessions, even though it was a couple years later, the legal profession tends to drag a little bit. So it was still hitting the legal industry quite hard. Um, we didn't do OCI when I was in, when I was at Suffolk for those 2010, 11 years. So people didn't have summer associateships. They didn't have job offers at the end of the day. Myself and most of my classmates graduated without jobs and you had to be really creative about it. I was very fortunate to stumble upon um, some mentors who helped me identify sort of my bilingual and bicultural background and try to help me be creative about the offerings that were out there for me for jobs. So at the time in 2009 and 10, Brazil was like one of the only economies in the world that was still doing well. So this mentor hooked me up with his contacts in Brazil and I went to work at a, a labor law firm in Brazil serving um, American pharmaceutical companies. Very random, but helped me think about the story and what I was doing and, you know, the ability to be sort of uh, intersectional and help out with trans, you know, cross-border transactions and th things that I had never thought about before. I came back, I spent my, my second summer going into my third year um, being the clerk for the general counsel at the Commission Against Discrimination, so unintentionally kind of following down an employment track. Um, but when it came to graduation, I didn't have a job and I didn't really have any prospects. I had to sit down with myself and say, you know, what am I, what am I really looking for? Like as my, as my panelists have previously mentioned, you had to be able to pivot and flex and figure out what, what, was, what opportunities were you gonna help create for yourself? What I came down with is I wanted to work in a team collaborative environment and I wanted to go somewhere that would train me. So for the first year that I graduated, I didn't have a job, I clerked for free. Um, for two Latina judges um, in Massachusetts with the goal of just trying to stay relevant, stay, being able to craft a narrative that I had been doing legal work. It was unpaid. I worked at Gucci, just like that guy who sent me my MacBook. Um, I worked in retail to pay my bills. That's actually a funny story that we'll circle back to later. And I just hit the pavement. Like everyone said, I applied where I could, you know, tried to leverage the networks that I had. Somewhere along the line, I was volunteering for an affinity bar organization and I'm putting on an event for um, other students actually. And I met a partner at EY who we spoke and he said, hey, you know, have you ever considered um, a career in tax? I said, no, I never, I'm not, I didn't take a tax alum class. I studied philosophy, definitely not. And he's like, well, we can teach you that. Like if you are interested and you have the aptitude, we will bring you on and we will coach you up. So I started my career at Ernst & Young where I did um, international tax work. I spent two years doing that and then I transitioned to their 
internal advisory M&A practice, so I did tax M&A there, again, with the ultimate goal of being able to craft a narrative that I'm doing legal adjacent work and that there is a way for this to fall in line with opportunities for me to go to a firm ultimately. Um, I transitioned from that and I went to Morgan Lewis to being a straight corporate associate. I was there for about two years and then I joined Sullivan Worcester in January of this year. So definitely been around the block. Thank you so much, Alpe. I love how we all have such different journeys and different career paths. Okay, so now we are going to start our questions for the panel. I'm going to actually start with you, Elhay. When you were job searching, how did you know where open jobs would be? So I didn't know there were no open jobs, to be frank. I say that not to scare people, but to give folks a toolkit to be prepared and not shocked um, if that becomes the case for you when you start looking. For me, what was most important was going out and finding attorneys that I really admired and wanted to sort of follow them around. Um, in my case, those were all very senior Hispanic women attorneys that were you know, partners in firms, folks in-house, and I just kind of followed them around and I would do anything for them if they were you know, doing um, volunteer work. I'd be like, hey, can I stuff envelopes for you? Can I make name tags for you? What can I do for you? And truly I built up a reputation that I was both a hard worker, I produced good work and I got jobs that way. Um, fast forward, those were, the, those were the connections that did ultimately land me interviews and then job offers um, down the line. So it wasn't like, you know, I, there, you know, there were things like simplicity and there were certain postings that you could certainly reach out to, but it, it was a pretty dried up market. So I think I spent a lot of my time encouraging myself to just get out there and meet people so that if there was an offer or there, if there was an opening under the table that folks didn't know about, they would think of me first just because they liked my work product, they liked my attitude, and they wanted to kind of help me out a little bit. That's really good advice. And Carla, do you have anything to add for this question? When you were job searching, how did you know where open jobs would be? Sure. So I kept in contact with uh, career services and really just hoped that through sites like Simplicity and um, just other posts, I'd be able to identify opportunities that were open at the time that I was looking. So there were not a lot. Um, I, you know, I've actually seen more job opportunities, um, you know, being posted this year than were available, um, you know, at the time in 2010. Uh, but really it was through sites like Simplicity and monitoring them constantly. So I actually saw the post that uh, resulted in my first job opportunity at a time where there were not a lot of posts going up but because I kept going back and revisiting and just reminding myself to, to check. There were some alumni who had, you know, this, again, short-term opportunity, and they decided to let the school know about it, and I uh, pursued that. So just trying to continue checking, um, although there were not very many options at the time, just sticking with it so that I would be prepared um, at that point where I did see an opportunity be posted. So I also continued to update my resume or, you know, just keep track of, um, you know, what was happening in the industry, although there were not a lot of openings, just working on things like cover letters and making sure materials were ready and, and references were ready in the event that something was posted that I needed to jump on quickly. 
That's a really good point. And I know personally, because I had gotten my LLM after law school, I was checking BU's Simplicity site in New England Law Boston and Mass Lawyers Weekly and just trying to scour anywhere that I could try to find one. So that is great. And Carla, we'll stick with you for the next question. Carla, how did you stay positive and motivated during your job hunt? Uh, from, I mentioned before um, how important mentorship and you know just connecting with other people was for me when I was undergoing my job search and even just navigating law school during a different time, a difficult time. And you know, I think what was helpful for me in terms of maintaining perspective was seeing people who were ahead of me, who you know I would say were in a, a much more challenging position in terms of being in a place where they were hitting the job market job market just as things were um, really starting to, to hit that, that boiling point. So as classes were being cut and, and jobs were being um, eliminated, just watching people who were in it when I was still navigating law school, maintain perspective and pivot and find alternative approaches to their career searches. I spoke to people and asked, hey, what worked for you? Where did you end up? And how was that working out for you? and got a lot of very helpful insight that helped me maintain perspective and also understand that it's okay to, you know, start off somewhere and position yourself to, to pivot. And it's okay to be open with people about, um, you know, your interest in trying to turn one opportunity into something that, that might be um, even better for you. So I think really the guidance and having those examples of, of people who I could look to as as mentors who would say to me, hey, look, it's it's not like it's tough, but it's not the end and you will get there. It's just your path will look a little bit uh, different from maybe what you had planned. That is a really good point. Okay, so moving on to the next question. Adam, I'm gonna direct this question to you. Thinking about your network, when you applied for a job, who did you use as your references or referrals? Who are the kinds of people that job seekers should target as references? So I would start as um, try to get as close to what the kind of position or the job that you're looking for or people who are gonna, who might lead you to other people or opportunities. So you wanna do bankruptcy for a small firm or a medium sized firm, I would start with the associates or someone who works at there and work your way, work your way out from that group. Um, it's possible, I'd say, when, you, when it comes to networking, especially now, it's, it's very possible and it's very easy to over-network. It's very easy to talk to too many people and burn yourself out, which is actually, I think is actually worse than not doing enough networking. If you're talking to so many people that you're losing interest, you're getting frustrated, you're not making a good impression, you're not helping yourself. So I would start with the right, start with the narrowest group of people and work from there and really try to target it to people who you think are gonna open the right doors and give you give you connections on that. Um, the question that I'm never asked when, I'm, when I help someone, when I'm doing an informal interview, I'm never asked by someone, who, who do you think I should talk to? Or what do you think I should be doing? And I, I would put that at the top of your list. Or I should say the top of your list, I would make sure that's your final question is that you want, whoever you're speaking to, anytime you get a connection, you'd want to ask them, what, what would you be doing in my shoes or who would you be talking to? And I think you'd be really surprised. You'd get some really good answers if you, if you ask that question. Um, I would say too that with the legal profession, most people are going to be there to help you. You know, 60, you know, I'd say 70, 80%. There are some snobs in the legal profession. There are going to be some people that just don't appreciate what you have to go through to finding a job. Um, some people that are just going to, you know, the whole idea of job searching is beneath them. They never had to go through that. 
So just keep that in mind. And the other thing I would look for is the person to talk to is look for the person that really work, had to really work to find a job. Um, I always think, I think that's a problem actually with law school admission or law school job offices is I think that they select people more because they had great backgrounds and they don't necessarily have backgrounds in job searching. And they, they're the people who found jobs right away. And it's not to say they're not helpful, but they don't have that perspective that I think that some people, some of you people really need, some of you guys, and we did as well in our, in our, in our time frame. I've always thought that law, that law, law job placement offices, they, they should hire the person at the bottom of the class, hire the person that had the worst time finding a job, because that's the person who's going to have the best perspective. So I would keep that in mind when you're looking, is find someone who have really had to go through hell, hell and, and, and back to get a job. And they're out there. And that person, I think, can really be especially helpful in telling you, especially, you know, who has experience in the Boston area, what they had to do to, to get their foot in the door. That's a really good point. And certainly for all of us on the panel, it wasn't an easy journey for us to find a job. And one thing that you said, Adam, that I really liked is when you're networking, I always say to myself that you should try your best to try to make your networking meaningful because you can talk to 100 people and not make an impression, not get to know them. But if you talk to just one or two people, you can really get to know them. And they could change from just networking contacts to mentors to maybe even sponsors. So moving on to the next question, I'm gonna to direct to this question to Carla first and then see if LK has anything else to add for advice. And the question is, what types of questions should you ask in an interview, both to help your chances of being hired and to help inform you about the organization that you are applying to? Sure, so I think it's important to ask questions. I mean, of course, do your research before going into any, um, interview, I think it's important not to ask questions about things that are like maybe right on the firm's website. So making sure you do that initial research, but um, from there, talking to people about their experiences. So, you know, what is, what is it like for you working here? Can you talk to me about what your practice is like? And, you know, especially if you get access to maybe more junior associates who are in an organization or, uh, you know, people who are closer to entry level in any organization or legal department. If you can get a sense of, you know, what the day-to-day -day experience is for them, uh, you can gain a lot of information from just asking about, tell me about your job. Like what, what does a typical day look like for you? Um, you can learn a lot about, you know, people's hours, uh, the expectations, and more importantly, the culture of a certain workplace by just asking questions about uh, people's personal experiences there and also the way that they work together with. So if something like collaboration and teamwork is really important to you, ask questions about you know, what that person's experience is. Do they have opportunities to cross collaborate or are they operating in silos? Like if that's a priority for you, then you wanna make sure your, your questions are directed at pulling out that information. And you may adjust your questioning based on your audience. So maybe let's, I'm just applying this in the law firm setting, but I think in any, um, any professional setting, you might not ask a partner or um, a general counsel or chief legal officer the same questions that you might ask to you know, the first year attorney who is, is really able to give you insight into what it's like entering um, as someone who's relatively new. So I think just be mindful of your audience and really do ask about the things that are important to you in terms of the type of work environment that you're looking for and also the type of experience that you will get. 
So for example, I started out um, in litigation and it was important for me to know how much exposure are people getting to different types of work. So are you, um, you know, sitting in your office for 12 hours a day of reviewing documents or is there an expectation that you start doing that but by a certain year, maybe you've had some exposure to at least observe hearings or whatever the case may be. So asking questions about uh, what types of training and opportunities people have gotten, I, I found to be um, helpful and I think that will help give you a sense of, uh, you know, what type of opportunity you might be stepping into. Thank you so much, Carla. That's really helpful advice. And Elke, do you have some more advice for us on this question? Yeah, my advice is more about the pre-interview process and how you can craft good questions to go in because every firm is really gonna be different and your interests in them is gonna be different and the folks that you're meeting with are gonna be different. So it's, of course you need like your, you know, bag of questions to ask because you would hate to be put on the spot and not have a great follow-up. Um, or you get to the end of the interview, it went kind of too quickly. There's like this awkward pregnant pause. And they say, so do you have any questions for me? You need to have something in the back pocket to put out there. But what I was going to add was that really before you get the interview or you submit your resume, it's really important to leverage um, you know, LinkedIn or personal networks that you have. So you can say, hey, I, I, you reach out to me, you say, hey, look, I saw there is an opening at Sullivan and Worcester, can we talk? That's a very effective way to make sure your resume is handed to the right person prior to dropping it into some online portal where it's probably never gonna get looked at again. And that also gives me the opportunity to look at your resume and help you polish it and make sure that it really puts your best foot forward and folks will look at it the right way. And there will, you will be in a, you know, the position that you might have four or five different resumes because maybe, you know, you have a private equity bent that you want to be really obvious to come out, or maybe you're flexible, or maybe you want people to think that you're really interested in litigation. I remember having versions up to version 10 of my resume that, that were catered for different avenues, right? So I think it's really important to reach out to folks within the company or the firm that you see the openings at and have frank conversations with them. Okay, hey, here's my profile. Do you think I'd be a fit? You know, I'm really interested in this position. How can I, how can I make myself seem like a great candidate? Then once you do get the interview, you have to follow up again and say, hey, I'm interviewing at this time with these people. What do you know about them? What are topics to stay away from? What are topics that they really want to hear more about? And that's how you can be best prepared for um, interviewing opportunities as they come up. And I'll just jump in there too, more from the perspective of a smaller firm. What I would also do is if you're interviewing with a small firm or a medium-sized firm, or really any firm I would say that doesn't have a base of clients that has to actively market, which is the case with most firms. I mean, if you're with a very large firm or a firm that has very established clients, like maybe like an insurance firm, it's not as important. But anywhere else that has to generate business, I would take an interest in marketing. I would try to ask about what that firm does to get clients, what it does on a regular basis to find business. Most, um, most firms follow a, a rule of three when it comes to associate. If they're paying you uh, whatever your salary is, you're expected to uh, generate at least three times that amount. So if they're paying you 50,000 a year, you need to be bringing in 150,000 a year. So the firm is always thinking, how am I going to be making enough money if I'm going to bring you on? Where, where are we going to be getting those clients? And if you take an interest in that, like if you know the firm is really active in networking, like they're active in the Chamber of Commerce or 
they like to write articles or they like to do some sort of whatever they do to market themselves. I would try to find a way to throw some kind of kind of throw a bone to that and say, I'm really interested in that. I like to network. I like to write and try to slip that in the door. Because if I was hiring an associate, and I have hired people on my firm, I, if someone who really can show that they can help generate business, that would come to the top of my list of potential clients, potential candidates. Great. Thank you so much to everyone for advice on that question. So the next question is, have you ever considered leaving the practice of law and doing something else? So LK, we've heard a lot about your journey and I'm wondering what your thoughts are about this question. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, and it's a it's a tough topic to wrap your head around when you spend all this time applying to law school, figuring out how you're going to pay for law school, having hopes and dreams and anticipations about, you know, your salary when you get out of law school. Um, but for me, I did. But, you know, I went to public accounting, which is leaving law. It was adjacent and I made every effort um, to make sure that I was doing work with the lawyers in public accounting, that I was doing the work that was most adjacent to work that would be done in a law firm. I went out of my way to transfer into groups that I thought were most appropriate to frame my resume and my narrative to transition to a law firm. I don't think it's the end of the world at all to think that way. I think you have to be really flexible when these markets um, take left turns and up, you know go upside down. I don't think, you know, there is a problem if you leave law for a few years, you can always come back to it. Careers are very long. You know, it could be a blip on your radar as long as you are trying to go out there, make good impressions, do great work. People will really support you and, and make sure that you get the opportunities that, that you're reaching for. Um, I also think that there's a lot of cool opportunities that are outside of law. Like there's a lot of great things that you can be doing in the compliance world, or perhaps you could go into some sort of business role in a firm and you can leverage, I'm sorry, a company and you can leverage the skills that you had gained when you were in law school. It's all, all options are open to you. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be discouraged at all by taking, taking, you know, note and consideration of maybe opportunities outside of the legal field. And if you hate it, you can turn around just like some of us started doing litigation and now we're doing employment or some of us are, you know, I did tax for the first part of my career. And now I do straight corporate work. Like it's very plausible to start doing one thing and then take a turn back. Thank you so much. Okay. The next question I'm going to direct first to Adam and then LK. The question is, did you have to work while you were job searching? And if so, what did you do? And how did you balance your current job with your job search? What do you think, Adam? I did have to, you know, I did have to work while I, I job search. I think most people do. Um, I was fortunate enough that I was in, in temporary positions that my sketch, I was pretty flexible. So if I needed to do interviews or networking events, I could move it around. I think the biggest perspective is that if you're going to be working while you're job searching, you have to think of your um, schedule. You have to think of the job search as a separate job on top of that. So if you're doing a 40 hour work week, you don't, don't, you're not, you can't go home doing just 48 hours. You have to add on the extra 10 or 15 hours each week. You have to be prepared for a much larger schedule. I, I think the most important thing is not to get is, you know, obviously if you're doing temp work or you're doing a temporary job, nothing wrong with it, but don't get stuck in that. I, I saw too many people who would take on temp jobs and stuck with them too long. And it just became too easy to do a temp job instead of looking long-term. So make sure that you don't get stuck in that. I think if you do a temp job too long, it's, it will come to a point where it's going to get harder to do something more permanent. 
And I do think you have to have, an, you have to assess where you are every so often. I think if you're long enough where you're in, the, in a job that you don't want to be, or you're not in the right position, you have to shift, shift gears. And you want to make sure you, at some point you have a, 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 a deadline by which if you're not where you want to be, it's time to be uh, kind of thinking about this next step. Um, I think there are jobs out there that, you know, they see people who are doing non-lawyer jobs and temp jobs. There are going to be some places that that'll kind of look down upon that very few. I think the overwhelming majority of legal employers understand, you know, the way of the market. They're, they're not going to fall to if you're not in a, you know, directly into a law firm job or some other legal job right out of school. Thank you so much, Adam. And okay, how about you? Yeah, so I clerked for free. So that was an unpaid internship. And I remember someone telling me, I was like hemming and hawing and feeling bad about having to call and say, oh, I can't come in today. I have to do an, in I have to do an interview. And I was telling a friend, they're like, it's an unpaid internship. You go on that interview and don't think twice about it, right? Like, we take it all so seriously and feel so grateful to have these opportunities that we do. But I think if you're honest with the um, whatever employer you have paid, unpaid, whatever the situation is, and let them know what your ultimate goal is, I think they'll be supportive and they'll, they'll you know, jump on your wagon and really let you let you pursue what you need to pursue. Um, I, I worked in retail, like I said throughout law school, but also for the year after. And, you know, my employer knew that I was looking, that I was job hunting, that this was obviously not my long-term goal. And they were, they were very good about saying like, oh, we have injuries. Great. Like, let, let us know how we can fix the schedule so you can accommodate that. I think you don't need to be shy or ashamed about the fact that you're out there looking for a full-time job. I think people will be really supportive. That's a really good point. Thank you. Okay, so we have made it to our last question before we open it up to Q&A if anyone has questions. And the question is, what is your one best piece of advice for a recent law school graduate? So I'll ask everyone this question, but I'll just start with my own answer. So the best advice that I ever received was from a mentor. This is someone who I met while I was job searching. And she really took me under her wing and she did so much for me to guide me, not only through my job search, but also when I was considering changing from the fellowship to the boutique firm and even to Nutter. She just always gave me advice along the way. And the one thing that she told me was, Nikki, always treat everyone you meet like you will know them for 100 years. And the reason I think that this is so valuable is that the city of Boston is so small and you just never know when you're gonna cross paths with another person in the future or what capacity that path could be in. So now I would love to hear from Carla and then Adam and then LK. Sure, I think the, the best I, advice I can give is to keep at it. Like you might have moments where you're rejected or you know, you're discouraged or concerned about uh, the market, but you know, if you keep working at it and, and keep your eyes open and, as I mentioned before, uh, conducting that outreach, right? you see people doing things that you might be interested in, even if it's just to, you know, ask for some general guidance for approaching your search, that outreach, uh, continuing to take those small steps towards, uh, you know, accomplishing your goals, I think will uh, will all work out in one way or another. And the path might look exactly how you, you plan when you start at law school. You'll get there as long as you keep trying. 
Thank you. How about you, Adam? So definitely keep at it. You know, don't give up. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of things out there that discourage you, but we've all made it and everyone who's really worked at it has gotten there. Um, the one thing I would do right now, if I was a law student, if I was looking for a job, either as a, a, a new attorney or just, you know, a, a more a more newer attorney, is I would get involved in a in a bar association committee. I would find a committee through a bar association. I'm active in the BBA and MBA, but there are also regional ones as you get out there. But I would get involved in a bar association because every bar association they have one. They always have two things in common. They always want to do more events, and there's never enough people to do them. And I really think that if you were to get involved in a bar association, let's say you want to do family law, I would get involved. I would email the chairs. I would tell them you want to get involved, especially now when everything's by Zoom, where it can be, you don't even have to go. You can just do it by video. Tell them you want to get interested, show up for every meeting, and then take an interest, take an active role in setting up some sort of event, some sort of panel, just like we're doing right now. And do a panel where, again, you're going to meet people who, who have maybe in the kind of field that you want to be in. So... If you want to work in a family law firm, set up a panel of you know five or six family law attorneys at firms. Get to know them, put a, do a really good job on the panel. And that, to me, I think would be an excellent way if you're looking short term as a way to kind of get in the door. That would be something I would give a lot of consideration to. Thank you. That's really good advice, Adam. You just never know who you're going to meet when you're volunteering or on a panel or involved with any sort of professional organization. Okay, and okay, how about you? Yeah, Nikki, you took it away from me. That's what I was gonna say was that always make the best impressions that you can because every interaction could lead to something else. All of the jobs that I've gotten in law firms have been through personal introductions from people who knew me and really liked me. Um, the funny story I was gonna tell you about Gucci is that when I was in law school working at Gucci, there was this regular customer that would come in and buy Gucci bags. She just loved Gucci bags. And one day she dropped one off and it was gonna get repaired. So she gave me her card and I saw that she was an associate at Skadden. And this is Angie Gomes for whoever knows her in this group. Um, and so I said, I just like turned into a little puppy. I was like, oh my God, like I'm in law school. Like I would love to come work at Skadden. Like, oh my God, that's so amazing. And whatever, years went by. Um, when I transitioned to Morgan Lewis, I reached out to her and picked her brain about what I should be looking for and not looking for. And then when um, I saw an opening at Sullivan and Worcester, I reached out to her and said, hey, I'd love to hear. She had transitioned to Sullivan and Worcester. And so I reached out to her to learn more about that opportunity. And she brought me in and I was able to get an offer from them. So in all capacities, just put your best foot forward, be professional, make great impressions, and it will it will come for you. I love that story, that is wonderful. Okay, well, those are all the questions that we had prepared and I hope I don't tell you to do the wrong thing, but if there are any questions from the attendees, you can put them in the chat or I think that you can do a raise hand function if you click on participants and then raise your hand if there are any questions. If you wanna do it anonymously, you can message Doug or any of the panelists directly. And I've actually received a couple, um, so I might get us started. And these are really for anybody who wants to jump in. Um, okay, so here's one. If you didn't have a job right after the bar, what did you do in the interim between having taken the bar and finding out results? Um, people sometimes would like to find a job now, but it can be difficult without a license. That's a really good point. I'll, I'll start that for me. I took the bar exam, I think July 25th and 26th and I found out October 30th that I had passed and 
during that time when I was not licensed, I was still applying for jobs. And I think that a lot of employers are understanding that you can't, you know, be licensed until you actually get your results. So if they were going to hire me, they, they would have done that under the understanding that I hadn't passed the bar yet, but I didn't get a job during that time period. So maybe one of the other panelists did. Um, as I say, I mean, you can do temp work as a you can do temp work as a JD without a, a license. That that's a, that's one option. Um, you can also look around for research gigs. I know a lot of a lot of times um, uh, attorneys, uh, solo and small firms, but maybe even larger firms sometimes need people who are willing to do research. So that that's an option as well. I've hired a few research assistants who've been in that position, um, and you can also reach out to nonprofits and um, nonprofits and legal aid. They're always looking for volunteers. And you don't necessarily have to be licensed either for those. I do have one other question. Um, are any of you able to speak to how job searching in the COVID economy might differ for graduates seeking public interest work? I mean, I'm definitely not a public interest attorney, but I, we were talking about this before the call um, started tonight that they just, the government just funded um, 40 openings for housing attorneys to join um, to try to help alleviate all of the evictions and the moratorium and all this stuff. So I think it seems like it, there's a lot of public interest opportunity and funding that come out, could come out there because people are really being infected um, in very serious ways by Corona across all industries. Um, so I think, I think there's actually probably gonna be a good amount of opportunity. And the great thing about going and working for legal aid or nonprofits is like, that is very real work from day one. You go in and you are given cases to manage, clients, intake, it is, very hands-on work. So I would definitely encourage folks to keep their eyes on that. The only thing I'd add is that those opportunities seem to, you know, track a different cycle in terms of the timings. For example, um, law firm or um, in-house corporate department recruiting might happen in certain ways or at certain times a year, whereas a lot of the public interests uh, that we're seeing come down the pipeline are, are popping up at any time and they're not linked ne necessarily linked to specific job fairs or you know January 2021 so I agree with just keeping an eye out for those because they seem to be popping up for a week as I uh, Okay, uh, if you're ready, I know we had a question for you that you might want to address. Yeah, so I got a question that's asked how one would find um, clerkship role, volunteer clerkship roles. The way I found them was really just, um, as others had mentioned, volunteering for various MBA and BBA events. Um, I met these two Latina judges, um, Judge Maldonado and Judge Ordonez, and just kind of insisted on that they take me under their wing and I followed them around probably ad nauseum. And when I did graduate, I, I sat, sat down with them and I was like, listen, is there any way that I could come and just kind of shadow you in court, write your memos, do whatever you need? And they were so thrilled to have me and share their networks with me and the judges there um, 
that I wasn't even working for doing work for, they would take me on and get really excited if they had like a big trial to bring me in on. Um, so just raise your hand and ask. And I think getting out to the organizations that folks have already mentioned, the BBA and others, it's a great way to make introductions. And then everyone wants to be helpful. So don't be shy about sort of teeing yourself up for that ask somewhere down the road. And Adam, if you're ready, um, there was another question for you if you'd like to address it. Yeah, so if I was on, about starting a solo, how would you, um, I would try as much as possible to avoid borrowing money to start a law practice. What I would do is I would try to find something on the side. If you could do temp work or any kind of job along the side, just to kind of minimize that. Um, I would try not to plunge head head first. I mean, you may have to, and if you if you do, you do. My my opinion about practice is it's not a matter of when you'll. It's not a matter if you succeed. It's a matter of when you'll succeed. If you put the time into it, everyone I know who's really done it has has gotten their foot off the ground. So I can definitely talk to anyone who's interested more about that. But there, it's definitely a path forward. It just you have to give a little consideration from start A to start B. Um, I received this as well, and this can go to everyone. Are there any tips on networking in a virtual world? Put your screen on. I think that's a huge, huge um, thing that people don't think about. Like there's lots of free webinars actually out there that I found really helpful um, about building your digital voice and your online brand and all that stuff. I think those are all really good things to make easy, good and fast impressions. And then just reach out like you always would. I, I actually find myself responding more to cold calls because it's really low maintenance for me to just schedule a 30 minute Zoom call with somebody um, than it would be to, you know, find a break in the day, go out to a coffee shop, sit down, you know, transition, all that stuff. I actually found it a lot easier. So I think you should take the reins and just start reaching out to whoever you want to talk to. I think that's really good advice. And just to follow what LK said, when I was trying to do the informational interviews before COVID, now that there is COVID, I was always really mindful to tell the person I was asking is that I'd be mindful of their time. So I would say when you're reaching out and asking to have that cup of coffee or to have a conversation or a phone call, just to say, you know, I would like 15 minutes of your time or half hour of your time just to, to make sure that they know that you're not trying to keep them hostage, you know, for an unlimited amount of time. And there's a definite beginning and an end point there. Herschel, I see you've raised your hand if you wanna ask your question. Thank you. Um, so this is sort of a, a segue after the networking question. I am a law student in Texas and looking to move back to Boston after law school. So my question is, what sort of tips do you guys have for someone looking to change locations after graduations? Well, I, I mean, I'll just jump in there too, and just to say that too. I, I came from Vermont to Boston, so I kind of understand that. I understand from going one area from the other. Um, what I would say is my experience is that Boston isn't really a transient city, not in the same way like New York or DC. New York and DC, everyone's from somewhere else. Boston, I think there's more of a hometown, hometown connection. 
So I would say is just get to Boston. That's kind of thing. If you want to be in Boston, try to get to Boston. If you can't, then uh, you know do what you can from afar. But you're best off if you can find any sort of way to get to Boston with any sort of temp work, just having yourself in the city. That's really the first step. I think it's other places where it's a little more common for out-of-staters out of to jump into the area. Boston's a place where I think you really have to be here to, to get your foot in the door. I would also add that you're uniquely positioned um, with everyone being remote because a lot of people are in different states or different countries right now. I was talking to a student who's doing remote learning from China, others who are Boston-based, but they're in California, Texas, otherwise. So. I think you're uniquely positioned to get yourself in the door. And then it's all about just like crafting your narrative about why you want to be in Boston and how much you love Boston. You love the weather, the winter's great, everything's wonderful. You got to really have that front of mind because people are going to ask that for you right away. I'm going to echo some of uh, the that Adam gave earlier and, and, you know, think about the Boston Bar Association and also um, affinity bar associations as um, opportunities to, to meet people. So uh, depending on the organization, they might have like a membership list where maybe there's someone who you can contact and ask, do you have one in your membership who experienced making transition? And I raised this because I uh, recently through a bar association connected with an attorney from Boston who practiced in Texas for a little while and just made the transition back here. So I think by telling people what types of connections you're looking to make, you can, um, I think, find your way to can speak personal experience about very same types of um, opportunities that you're, you're looking for. So to see if you can get connected with uh, the, the VBA and other um, variations that might be able to get you more in touch with the community here in Boston. Jump in real quick. Um, I wanna be cognizant of the time. Uh, we're a minute over, but we do have two more quick questions. Um, anybody can feel free to stay or drop off, whatever's best for you. Um, one that we have is, do you have, and this can go to anybody. Do you have any tips on applying or networking for new attorneys who do not yet know what practice groups they are interested in joining? Okay, you going? Yeah, you can go. Go for it. You know, I was going to say, I, I'm probably, I don't know if I'm unique. I think a lot of lawyers know exactly what type of practice they wanted. I studied math in undergrad, and then I really want to do something tax related. So I would say that you're almost in a better position if you're not sure which practice area that you want to be in, because it opens more doors and more opportunities for you. I think the, the harder part is when you go for the interview and then thinking, thinking long-term when they ask you, you know, why do you want to do, you know, healthcare advocacy or the certain, the certain type of position that you have applied to, to make sure that you do have a good reason for it, even if you sort of are open and even that same day you have a position, you have an interview for a litigation position or something that's completely different and kind of thinking about how LK said she had 10 versions of her resume and they each were sort of targeted toward the type of position that she was after that maybe that's something also that you should think about when you're applying to the different positions. So I suppose we can make this the last question. 
Um, can the panelists, uh, the panelists, uh, can the panelists speak to how easy or difficult it was to change positions after finding their first jobs? Everyone has touched on this a bit, but there's a hesitation in taking a short-term position that you'll have to start all over again when that position ends. Um, I can take this one or start it off because I'm sure others have great insight as well. I think for our class here, if you look in law firm websites, you'll see gaps, right? Because this is exactly what people did. They would look for temporary positions and either find a, a permanent one or not and choose to leave the profession. So I think it's very much should be on your radar that that could happen to you, right? Like you're looking for a job where you're going to get training, you're going to get exposure and that that job that presents itself might be the perfect job for you and it might not. There's a lot of, you know, dynamics in our profession that can can make it sort of a unhealthy environment or it can make it not a fit. And some folks feel really, um, they feel really grounded in that position and they don't wanna move. But I would definitely say that all of us are examples of starting one thing and looking for opportunities that help us grow and transition and transition and transition. And I think, you know, that I think everyone who's in the class years that are grad that just graduated and are coming up are going to be in similar kind of transition modes. Like it's not the same profession that our parents grew up in. Like you don't get want your first job and you stay in it until you retire. There's just tons of opportunities that will pre present themselves. And I think it's very much worthwhile to pursue them. I don't know, you know, how hard or easy it is. People always told me that I would never be able to transition from public accounting to big law, but I did it. And it's, it can happen for anybody. Like it's, I'm not special. I didn't have this like amazing Excel experience or something like there was nothing that really made me stand out that way, but it happened for me. And I think it can happen for others as well. As long as you think about it, you look for the right opportunities and you help build your narrative. So folks understand your transition and your goals. Would any other panelists like to chime in on that? Or should I wrap up here? Awesome. Um, well, thank you all very much for attending. Um, a big thank you to all of our panelists um, who really did a great job. Um, and yeah, thanks everybody. Have a very nice night. Thank you all. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Bye, thank you all.